Oda, 30 feet away. Jumper in the air. He's got it! Lamar Odom has won it for Rhode Island! In traffic, off-balance shot. Thank you! Jared Terrell in Rhode Island has done it in the final five seconds on a circus shot from Jared Terrell. A career-high night for him and a victory for Rhode Island. Look it up, Dutton. Run out, Rowdy, look out! Oh, steal by Vance Russell off of Young. Three. Don't do it to him like that, Vance. Dribbles into the forecourt. Iverson going up. He dunks it home as the buzzer sounds. And Rowdy, the 8-10 champs. Hello, Rody Baseline fans. It's your favorite two Rody fans out there. It's Andrew. It's Gary. We're back after a month and a half break. A lot has happened. A lot is yet to happen this season. And I just, before we get started, I just want to say thank you to everyone for all the well wishes for my wrist surgery. We're back. We're ready. Shout out all the doctors that have to put up with me. And shout out to Gary for driving my sorry little butt behind. But we got that behind us, and we're ready to talk some roadie hoops in another great episode, and hopefully we can turn this season around. I'm just saying, Andrew, I was getting really sick of driving around Miss Daisy or driving around Miss Pazinski, if you call it that way, uh, around to all the basketball games. But I'm happy that you're healed. I'm happy that we're finally back to talk roadie hoops uh, and back for episode five of Roadie Baseline. Uh, before we get into today's episode, make sure to follow us Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Roadie Baseline. And obviously subscribe to us on all podcast platforms. And do leave us a five-star rating on those. We appreciate all the ratings and all the subscriptions that we get on all of our social medias. And be aware that we will be back now uh, every week coming up until the Atlantic 10 tournament and beyond from there. Uh, But we do have a good episode today. Talk a little bit about the Roadie women's team. uh, Then get into the woes of the Roadie men's basketball team. And then an interview with... WPRI Sports Director Maury Hirschgordon on the troubles of roadie men's basketball. Uh, But before we jump into the men's team, we do need to bring up Coach Tammy Reese and the roadie women's team, uh, who has been phenomenal and stellar the last couple games and currently are on a nine-game winning streak, uh, which is phenomenal for them. Gary, I got to cut you off there. Before we talk about this, instead of shoveling out on... Sunday, y'all need to get your little tukuses down to the Ryan Center and watch this women's team take on VCU. Not only do you get to see a great game of basketball, you don't have to shovel and see, if not the most important thing, roadie tickets tweeted about four or five hours ago, us recording this, there will be Girl Scout cookies in the building. I know all you people want your peanut butter patties. Let's let bygones be bygones. Gary and I are big dudes. We love our peanut butter patties. So get down there and buy your buy your Girl Scout cookies. Yep, and you do want to make it to see this team. Um, this team this year has been phenomenal. Tammy Reese has done a great job with the talent that she has, and especially with a huge win on Wednesday night in Amherst with URI beating UMass 60-46, to with UMass being 49 in the net and URI at 50. A huge win for this program. A couple numbers I want to throw out. Emmanuel Tahan finished with 18 points. Uh, MP Fapasi with 14. Dolly Karens with 14 points. Uh, with two threes made, two phenomenal threes, and Des Almore with 10 points. This team 
is rolling, and they are a force to be reckoned with. And you can see it, Gary. The team chemistry that they have is absurd. Some of the passes we saw were ridiculous. Gary and I were up at Amherst. Well, the one that jumps out at me was in the fourth quarter, the roll to the basket by Honor Jermaine, and she was wide open under under the hoop, not a UMass player in sight, and just the court awareness to see that and get that. There's not going to be many easier baskets that you have all season than that, and that just goes to show the late, the women love to play with each other. They're listening to the coaches. The coaching staff is drawing up plays. It's just it's great to see, and they keep breaking history. Nine-game winning streak. You had, This was the first week that the program has ever gotten national AP poll recognition. Um, and as a whole, the A-10's women's basketball is on the rise. I think there's three or four teams that are on the bubble for the tournament, so as much as the A-10 men's team isn't doing so well to get at-large bids, there's a chance you could have three or four A-10 women's team in the tournament, and your eyes right there in the thick of it. I think I saw the women's bracketology come out this past week from ESPN. URI's right there in the next four out, so there's a chance to get down there, get up there and shock some people. And I can tell you right now, Gary and I have started looking at hotels to go to Wilmington to uh, see this team if they make a deep run in the A-10 tournament because this team is special. And I just I can't thank Thor, Tammy, all the assistant coaches, the players for putting this program back on the map as alumni. It means a lot to see this program coming back. And shout out to all the to the amazing women on that team for putting us coming together and being amazing and hopefully bringing a championship to Kingston. I just want to say, Andrew, so URI is at the top of the A-10 standings, uh, both tied at 6-0 and with the Dayton Flyers. Uh, both those teams are two games ahead. And the last time that URI beat UMass twice in the same season was 2004 and 2005 season. So looking really, really good. A nine-game win streak, which is history-breaking for this Rhodey women's team. First time getting votes. It, it is something special. And back in action on Sunday at home versus VCU. That game was a 12:05 tip. It will air nationally on CBS Sports Network, but you know you want to get to the Ryan Center, pick up some tickets, get some Girl Scout cookies, and come see Tammy Reese and these this Rhodey women's team. They are on fire. the The ceiling is very, very high for this team. Uh, very, very impressive this year. All right, but with all the good comes the bad, the bad, the bad. The bad, the bad. Is that enough bads yet, Gary, or should I keep going? Uh, I'm not sure, Andrew. So it's been a little bit since we've been with you guys, right? So obviously we're not going to go too crazy with going over what we've missed, but the last game that we talked about was uh, URI uh, with a win against Sacred Heart on December 7th. Uh, They did win at Milwaukee on December 13th. Uh, but they did not play against the College of Charleston or Brown. Uh, then they, after being on a COVID pause for a little while, which of course derailed everything, uh, they did come back and play American International at home, uh, for which is a D2 school with a win. The game at George Mason was postponed due to COVID issues. And then a loss at Davidson, win at home versus St. Joe's. And then a win at UMass and a win against LaSalle, a bear win 
on January 19th. And then it gets to the two games that we're going to talk about in this episode, starting with January 22nd versus George Washington at home at the Ryan Center. Yeah, that one was something. I think that was the first game in, I think, three, four years that Gary and I both got up and left early. I think it was, you had a 15-point lead against one of the worst teams in the league. You blew it. You lost. You made George Washington look like the 96 Bulls out there in the the last 10 minutes of that game. There was no need for it. The play call, the play calling was atrocious. The execution was atrocious. Um, I just, I don't know what to say. I'm, my blood is starting to boil again. I remember that, and I get, I don't know. It, I think you kind of saw a loss like that coming at some point, but you didn't expect it to be as ugly as it was, and which, and you expected them to bounce back after that into the. G into the Richmond game. I guess the GW game, you could be, oh, Malik Martin didn't play, but you had a 15-point lead. You shouldn't need... Malik Martin's a great player. You should not need Malik Martin to beat George Washington. Hell, me with one arm probably could have shot better free throw percentage than that team did on that Saturday. I think in the first half, they were 1 of 10 from the free throw stripe. That is unexcusable as Division One athletes, in my opinion. Um, and you would expect that to get fixed between the LaSalle and George Washington game. Because the LaSalle game, they shot just as poor. But it didn't. So I would love to know what they were doing in practice. But that led to the Richmond game where it was, you had all the markers for a bounce-back game. The students were there. You had three or four days of practice. You could feel a different energy in the arena. The new jerseys. Everything was there for URI to come out, lay down the hammer, destroy Richmond and move on and show everybody that the George Washington game was just a fluke. But, and they started out that way. They were up 15 with early into the second half, and then the wheels just came off the bus, and we have theories that are why that happened, which we talk about with our guest, Maury Hirschgord, in, in the upcoming segment. But, yeah, it was just an ugly week, and... Quite frankly, it was an embarrassing week as a URI fan, and I'm tired of the excuses from the players, the coaching staff, and it just, something needs to happen, and my hot take is going to be a hot take that I think we all can agree on that's going to happen. It's going to be typical URI, but we'll get to that at the end of the show. So with that, uh, we can now move on. Uh, we did get the chat uh, earlier this week with uh, Maury Hirschkorn, uh, the sports director for WPRI 12, talking a little bit about these two games and the team as a whole. Let's go to that interview now. All right, Rody Baseline fans, back again now with one of our favorite contributors on the podcast here. Uh, we have Maury Hirschkorn here from WPRI 12, the new sports director. We have to say that because last time, you were on the show. You weren't not the sports director, so congrats. Even though now I feel like you've been in this role for a long time. Yeah, Gary, Andrew, thanks so much for having me on. Always a pleasure to talk uh, college hoops with you guys, especially Rody. Uh, and thanks so much for that. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a great first six seven months. You think about you know all the Patriots news and Cam Newton and the ascension of Mac Jones and the Brady return, the Red Sox playoff run, and uh, Patriots getting back into the playoffs. So uh, it's been been quite the first, you know, six, seven months. And now we're really heating up to college basketball and uh, 
it looks like, you know, we've got a lot of storylines here. A lot of storylines. <laughs> Indeed, Maury. Guess we'll start it off with what in the world is going on in Kingston with this men's team? You had a lot of optimism after the Davidson game. Squeaking by LaSalle. I know Gary and I have talked about it, that every winter break, there's always that one game where they overlook the opponent and there's no energy. And we thought that that was it. But evidently, after these last two games, there's something a lot more going on. And I just I don't know what's going on. And you can let us know what you think's going on. Yeah, I mean, it's a trend that is definitely not a welcome sight for uh, Rhode Island fans. Uh, I would say this before we start to dive into some of the issues and the struggles and the themes, the beginning of conference play, the way that it started now, not, you know, the original slate opened up nicely for URI, right? When you think about it, and I think I wrote this in my first uh, WPRI College Hoops column was like, hey, all right, you had the road test at Davidson. You know, we're going to factor that in down the line in this conversation that that's a game that Rhode Island also blew, but you didn't expect them to win. Davidson ended up cracking the top 25 this week. You're up seven late in the game. Okay, you go on the road. You get great experience against a team that's probably going to finish in the top three in the league. And then you come home, and then and then you had that stretch of potential, potentially four games that you could have gotten yourself to four and one, right? I mean, they were three and one, and then it was the George Washington game. And if they get over George Washington, you're four and one, you've got some momentum, and you have a Richmond team coming in that, despite they were ranked second, you know, preseason in the A10, and I know they've got a ton of veterans, they haven't played up to potential, right? They've been extremely disappointing when you consider they were an at-large type of team conversation-wise at the beginning of the year. So really, the, 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 there was a, a legitimate path to five and one for this Rhode Island team. And the fact that they've struggled to get to three and three, I think really says something. Um, one, I think it's a, a reflection of the coaching. Uh, two, I think it's a reflection of the execution late. Let's dive into the numbers in a little bit. Three, I think most importantly that nobody's talking about that, that I think is huge is just the soft non-conference schedule. You know, non-conference, A, should set you up to try to be an at-large team, which for the last two or three years, David Cox, which I love, has said, hey, let's go out and play the best anywhere, anytime. They went to Wisconsin last year. They got into Mohegan to play Arizona State after a team, I believe it was Baylor, dropped out last minute because of COVID. I could be wrong there. Uh, if memory serves, I think it was Baylor. The year prior, it was at Maryland, West Virginia on a, on a neutral court. Uh, it was LSU in a tournament. It was Providence. It was uh, I'm missing one other team there late in the, in the non-conference. Anyway, there's, there's multiple power five opponents that they played in the last few years. David Cox thought his team would be great um, and could compete for an at-large. So that's one of the reasons you schedule tough in the out-of-conference. The other reason is, hey, so when you get into these wars, when you get into the sticky situations in league play, you're battle-tested, you're prepared. That's a big reason why going into the PC-URI game, the storylines, well, 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 PC had played a UVA, they had played a Texas Tech, they had played a Northwestern, Rhode Island. You know, who had Rhode Island played? BU, Bryant, Georgia State? Like, none of those teams were getting you ready for that game. So now when you look, take a step back, and you assess where we're at now, and this Rhode Island team is 3-3 three and three and headed in the wrong direction, as, you know, as, as we tape this on Thursday morning, you, you, I look to the out-of-conference, um, definitely, as, as something that, you know, this, this Rhode Island coaching staff didn't prepare, his, didn't prepare the team well enough. Um, and 
you know, we know why there was a soft non-conference slate. Um, anybody can see it. Um, it's so that, you know, David Cox could pile up wins and uh, try to get to that 20 win threshold, which it still looks like he could um, because they, they, they had such a, a great win loss ratio beating, you know, not great teams in the out of conference. Um, but that's really coming back to, to, to bite them now. Uh, and the last few nights, I mean, the easiest thing to see 15 point leads that were blown. David Cox said post game after Richmond that he sees the losses differently. He views the George Washington loss as we got cocky. We got overconfident. He even used the word arrogant. And he said the loss was justified in that aspect because the second half they came out, they didn't play well. Uh, they thought they were all that. I mean, let's just look at that in a vacuum. Arrogant. I mean, who have you beaten this year to believe you could even be remotely close to arrogant? You know? Okay, so you have a gaudy win-loss record at that point. They were 12-4 and four coming into that game and 3-1 and one in the non-conference. They, they, they didn't beat a single good team, you know? There, there was not one win in the out-of-conference or one win up to that point that gave you hope, hey, they can compete at the top of the A-10, despite having a 12-4 and four record. And then you look at the Richmond loss, and he said, okay, you know, veteran team, they executed late. We got, wore down, we got, we, we got worn down by their pressure, which all makes sense. However, at the end of the day, two 15-point leads at home, two games in which you totally controlled, and two games in which you wilted down the stretch on your end of things. So the games were there to be won, and Rhode Island came up short. Would you put majority of this on Cox and the coaching staff or the players and their execution of the game plans that they're given? Well, I think, you know, what do they, what do they say, right? The coaches take losses and, and players win games. I think still at the end of the day – it's got to rely on the coaching staff because they're implementing the game plan. They're implementing the structure. They're calling the timeouts and informing the players of, of what they want. You're always going to make physical mistakes. And I'm, and I'm super lenient in that aspect. Like the foul shooting. Yes. It's gotten mental. However, no one goes up there and tries to, to miss foul shots, the mental mistakes that we really haven't seen too, too many of them the last few nights, specifically the mental mistakes, not being in the right spots, or coming out of a timeout and not knowing what you're gonna what you're gonna run after the coach just drew it up on the whiteboard, those things I don't really have a, a big tolerance for. You miss layups, you miss jump shots; those are gonna happen, right? All, all the greatest players in the world sometimes miss layups, sometimes get in a funk shooting foul shots. But my thing here, the last two nights, when you say players or coaches, it's got to be coaches. I mean, Makai Mitchell, how he can take a three point shot, how that's the shot URI gets down by four the other night. That's got to be coached. So to me, in practice, it goes, well, if the coach lets him shoot that three-point shot in practice, okay, well, then the player's mind says, okay, well, I'm then allowed to shoot that in the game. Like that has to be, that has to be taught and that has to be coached hard so that you get into that situation down the stretch and a player's mind doesn't even go there to say, okay, I can shoot that shot. We hear it from another coach in town that you have to make a certain amount of shots every week in order to shoot certain shots in games or else if you shoot that shot, you're out. Right. So those types of things, you know, could the coaching staff be telling a guy like Makai, Hey, don't shoot threes. Sure. But at the end of the day, it falls on them because they're the ones that are spending hours and hours of time with these guys, telling them what types of shots and what types of sets to run. And for, and, and for that shot to happen uh, at that critical juncture, 
after you blew a 15-point lead against one of the worst teams in the conference, arguably maybe the worst this year. Fordham actually hasn't been bad. Worst loss statistically in Ken Palm since the 2011 season, 2011-2012, when, when URI lost to Brown. And, and that, that offseason, Jim Barron was fired. It's got to come down to the coaches, in my opinion. It leads me into another question that's related to coaching. And you being a Syracuse guy, kind of know a little bit about Mr. Jalen Carey. Personally, I think Jalen Carey coming into the second half of the Richmond game after not playing in the first half was probably where the game switched. You can't, in my opinion, you can't bring a guy in who didn't play the entire first half, was cold as ice, wasn't in any of the flow of the game, and then tell him that it was a coach, tell us it was a coach's decision after using fatigue in as an excuse in your press conference. I just think that Jalen Carey should never have stepped foot on the court on Tuesday night against Richmond. Yeah, so here's the thing, you know, and I was fairly critical of Jalen's play last year, uh, especially coming in with such high expectations coming from Syracuse. You thought, okay, takes a step down and he should, this should be the level he contributes at. I mean, this was a guy that picked Syracuse, I think, over UConn and Kansas was in his final couple. I mean, this was like a top, top, top guy coming out of high school. I think this year he's actually, I mean, he's played well. I mean, you look at the numbers in a vacuum, he's played much better. Uh, surprisingly his three point shooting is like through the roof compared to what had, what he had been the first three years. Um, and his turnovers were down. Um, and he had been contributing. I mean, came off the bench in the UMass game, looked good, came, came off the bench in other times, uh, and, and has been fine for 15 to 17 minutes. I really haven't had an issue with his playing time. Yes. I think you make a good point there, Andrew, where whatever the reason was that he didn't play in the first half, whether you want to believe David Cox or not, that's sort of a separate point. If you're not there to play the first 27 minutes of the game, and it's, and it's similar to the Trez Berry substitute mm-hmm. the night before against George Washington, like you said, he's ice cold. He, he didn't get in the flow and the rhythm of the game. And other guys to that point helped you build a 15-point lead against Richmond. So if he wasn't a part of that, what makes you think it's going to be even better after that? Yeah, I believe there were there were better options there. I wouldn't necessarily focus on that as a whole. He did come in and, and hit a couple shots that were timely at that point, uh, at that juncture. But, you know, one of the, the few surprising moves, uh, especially rotationally, and we can get into the rotation uh, if you guys want, because not only do we look back and, and see the last couple games of, okay, maybe that is one questionable decision that you can look in hindsight, but also going forward. I also uh, want to touch on something going forward that, I think needs to be changed in the rotation. Ooh, I like that. What would that be? What would you say that that would be? My change to the rotation for URI would be Sebastian Thomas needs to play 30 minutes a game for the rest of the season for a few reasons. Looking at it from David Cox's perspective, he used, let me pull this up so I have it, I have it quoted right. He was using words like Sebastian Thomas runs our offense. Sebastian Thomas took a huge step today, more than capable of helping lead this team be at the point guard position and get the win. And then he said, quote, I expect to see that, meaning his his performances, more regularly and consistently moving forward. He is the team's best guard in terms of fit, in terms of what he does best. He has his one marketable trait is that he can run an offense and he can get others involved. Jeremy Shepard is the, quote, scoring guard. But, he's ha- but he has had off nights. 
and he's a fifth-year senior. Ish Alamine, nice complimentary piece, not going to be here next year, hasn't really done much this year. Ish Leggett, again, like Jeremy Shepard. I don't know if this is on video or if this is just audio, but with my hands right now, super high days and super low, super inconsistent on the offensive end. Jalen Carey has been solid, small minutes, uh, limited minutes. So I think what Sebastian Thomas does is he, for, he, he solidifies that point guard spot and he gets others involved. A career high seven assists to just two turnovers playing Jacob Gilliard, who's the NCAA steals leader all time. I mean, the poise that, that a freshman shows in that spot coming off of a 15 point loss when you throw that in the mix and as hostile an environment as URI has had all season, right? I mean, play the game under control, play the game poised, play the game confident. He is URI's best guard, and he's going to have off shooting nights. He's a true freshman. You have to live with that. Of the 0 for 8, I counted half, if not more, good shots, you know, momentum going toward the basket, not fading away, getting into the five, six, seven, eight foot range, into the paint. Okay, so the balls, you know, he left a couple floaters short. Uh, a couple floaters fell off the rim. Like that's going to happen. Those are the physical mistakes I was talking about a couple minutes ago where you're going to miss shots. You're going to go over eight. But the fact that he doesn't let his offense determine A, his defense and B, him getting sped up on the offensive end and only having two turnovers in 38 minutes against a guy who's the top of the steals list all time in, in, in NCAA history. I mean, that says a lot about Sebastian Thomas. So I think he needs to play the majority of the games going forward. He doesn't need to necessarily start, but much like Jared Bynum at Providence, who's he's been one of their best players off the bench. doesn't matter if you start or if you come off the bench, he's got to close games and he's got to be there because A, he's their best guard right now. And B, if David Cox wants to coach next year, and we don't know how the rest of this season is going to play out. It's still a little too early to determine, but if he wants it, if he wants his job back next year, he can turn to Thor and say, hey, listen, I mean, look at this point guard that I have. Look at this point guard with all this experience. He's going to be ready to go game one. That's a huge piece going forward that URI needs. And he needs to play him so that he has the experience so that he's ready come next year. And he's ready right now to help them win. As David Cox said, I mean, those were his words. Um, those two reasons are the biggest reasons why that's, that would be my one big change to the rotation going forward. Um, he's their best guard. Uh, he's been their best guard. He didn't play enough against Providence. David Cox said that after the game, looking back, I think it was on, uh, maybe his coach's show, or maybe it was a press conference shortly thereafter. I would have played him more. I mean, this kid's been ready. He's got the most NBA ready skill of any guard on this URI team. And he can't be shut out opportunities because you promised minutes to Ish Alamine as a transfer, because you promised minutes to Jeremy Shepard coming back as a fifth year because you promised minutes to Jalen Carey, whatever, whatever it is, he is your best guard. He does his one skill is better than any other guard that you have. And he can defend well, and he can score a little bit too. He didn't score well against Richmond. Those are the reasons why I'd have him play more. I completely agree with you, Maury. I think Sebastian needs more minutes and let's hope it actually happens. And he's got to play through those struggles. He's going to continue to have games of one for seven shooting. But as long as he's not turning the ball over, I mean, two, I can't even overstate that. Two turnovers in 38 minutes in that type of game where, where Richmond's up in your face and the pressure full court. 
I mean, that's, that's, that's tremendous. And that's, that speaks to the player uh, and the IQ that he has. Now uh, the perfect question that I, and I, you did touch on this, but I do want to go back to it. Right. It reminds me very similarly of that, you know, 2017 team where Jarvis Garrett was starting, got injured. Someone came in, took over the spot. Do you feel as though Sebastian should be the starter and Jeremy should be coming off the bench or that, you know, Sebastian is going to have a little more momentum coming off the bench and leaving Jeremy in that spot, even though he's been kind of, you know, up and down. Yeah. I don't think that's, that's something that really doesn't bother me. doesn't affect me. Don't really care. I think you need him to play the important minutes and the important times in games. So if that's coming off the bench, that's fine. I mean, you can come off the bench one or two minutes into a game. If you want somebody, if somebody is mentally weak on your team and as a coach, you, you sort of can feel that out with your guys. If somebody's mentally weak, they want to hear their name called. They want to be in the starting five. Sure. Then have Sebastian come off the bench. I'd probably, I'd probably lean to the, to the side of him coming off the bench. He's a freshman. If you need to start him, sure, that's fine. But it's better, you know, watch the game, watch a few possessions, uh, see the tempo, see the speed, diagnose the defense, look at the opposition. He still hasn't, he still, you know, has only played, you know, six A-10 teams. You know, he still has another eight to go or seven to go play that he hasn't faced for the, for, for the first time. So still give him that experience and that, and that aspect of watching the opposition first off the bench. But then once he comes in, it doesn't like if he's playing well, he should stay in the game for the reasons that I laid out. So to me, I think coming off the bench is fine. Uh, and I probably would are to that side because he's a freshman and because every player is fresh when they start games. And if you can have a freshman who doesn't have a lot of experience in a, in a 10 play come off the bench and be fresh when other guys, you know, might start to be tired a little bit, five, six, seven minutes into a game, or maybe, maybe two, three minutes he'll have the freshest legs on the court when he comes in off the bench. Yeah, I can see that. I hate to harp on coach and all this, but I feel like it's deserved. In my opinion, listening to the press conference after the Richmond game, he used the word proud way too much for me. Do you agree with that? Or like, I just, the amount of times he used the word proud on Tuesday night just didn't feel right to me after how that game went saying he was proud of the guys, proud. I get Sebastian played well and all that stuff. That like won the one bright spot. But I don't think you can say you were proud and kept using Richmond's veteran leadership as an excuse to why you lost. I thought there were a lot of excuses in Tuesday night and not enough blame taking. That's a good observation. I think it sounded a little moral victory-ish to me. You know, even though he said, hey, no moral victories, no excuses. We have to get back in the lab. We have to work. Got to review the tape, got to fix things, got to keep, you know, chugging along. Like any coach says, that's all coach speak. But yes, it felt moral victory-ish to me. At one point in the press conference, he said, hey, well, if you look at our, you know, look at our numbers against them, 16 assists to 10 turnovers. We shot the ball almost 40% from the floor. Like, so sure, so you say no moral victories, but you're pointing out the statistical numbers. You know what the number was that you weren't good enough in? The Points. final score, that's the only number that, that any coach looks at at the end of the game. So the fact that, like, you're bringing up, oh, well, look at our numbers, 16 assists to 10 turnovers, we shot the ball pretty, that doesn't mean anything. You can go shoot the ball 25% from the floor and win a game. No one will talk about your field goal percentage. Did you win <laughs> or did you lose? You or I blew a golden opportunity 
to get to five and one in the A-10. And I'd still be sitting here and saying, it'd be a hollow record, right? I think they'd be, so they'd be 14 and four overall and five and one in the A-10 play. They wouldn't be sniffing an at-large bid due to their out of conference. And I still would be apprehensive if they could beat VCU, St. Bonaventure, George Mason, St. Louis, all the teams, you know, at the top of the league. Because up until that point, they had only would have only played Davidson, which they have. Richmond might now get up back up to the top of the league, but they've been in the middle of the pack the whole season and underachieving. So the only numbers that matter is, is the number next to your name uh, in the final score. Doesn't matter how you get there. There's some teams that win games with five assists. There's some teams that lose. Play. Would you rather lose playing pretty and lose well in the and lose, but look good in the box score or not have the box score look good and pull out a win? It just felt very moral victory-ish. And, and he said, you know, Richmond's not a team you expect to be up by 15 on. So were you not expecting to lead or were you just expecting to only like lead by seven or eight or 10 and not, you know, not try to grow on that lead? I mean, you led by 15. You played well. A minute into the second half when you're up by 15 points at home with the students back and considering you're coming off of a 15 point loss, that's not the time to then go get outscored by 22 points in the last 18 minutes and change of a ball game. So that's another comment that, that just didn't really add up. He's got a right to say he's proud. They played well for long stretches of this game. Outside of the 7 nothing run that Richmond had to start the game, their best half of basketball this year, considering the spot, what they were coming off, and the opponent that they were playing, in my opinion, was their best long period, long stretch of the season, right? I think we can agree. They had a couple nice stretches against Providence. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't as long as, as that first half to build that 13 point lead. And then they, they um, dragged it over there in the second half for, for that first minute, minute and 30 to get it up to 15. So you played really, really well. You know, what happened? Those are the questions that have to be answered. We, we, we know you played well. The box score looks good because you played well for long stretches. The stretch that you didn't play well was the last six minutes of the game when you didn't have a field goal. And this is a trend now. If we look in the A-10, the three losses, no field goals in the final 550 against Richmond, no field goals in the final 356 against George Washington, and no field goals in the last 647 against Davidson. So in your three losses, let me do some quick math here. Six and three is nine and five is 14. And then almost three more minutes there. So in the final close to 17 minutes of those three losses, not one basket. And you've got two guys out there on the court the majority of the time that are 6'9", 6'10". And Antoine Walker is a top near the top of the conference or at the top of the conference in field goal percentage. If you want to look at box score numbers, well, go look at the end of the game. Those are the numbers that you should be worrying about. It almost sounds like he's fighting for his job already when maybe that's a little too early and not to mention those box scores with the bigs with the twins and Antoine Walker you have to look at their matchups against George Washington that Breen kid easily the twins had a 50 pound had 50 pounds on him and that kid against not Grant Golden the other oh man his name's eluding me I think his number was five easily had another 50 60 pounds on them they should have pounded the ball inside 
all the time on the block and let the twins, heck, even Antoine go to work on them and they would have done well. But evidently that didn't happen because not everybody listens to Coach Andrew. And if you want to uh, continue to talk about things he said, you know, right or wrong, I mean, he's the head coach. They're, they're his opinions and, and he's in that spot for a reason. He said after the, I asked him after the George Washington game, I said, you know, would you have liked to pound the ball inside a little bit more considering the size advantage, right? I mean, <laughs> the best big man on the court for was was George, the best big man on the court for the game. You know, both teams was was uh, uh, was the George Washington player that's slipping my mind. I mean, the Mitchell twins are more athletic. They're longer. They're just better. And he's the one. He's grabbing offensive rebounds at the end of the game. He's grabbing defensive rebounds. He's all over the court. He's playing the game of his life. I said, okay. So do you want to? Did you want to pound the ball in a little bit more? In retrospect. Were you, were you okay with your shot selection? And he goes, we pounded it in a lot, but then also when we've pounded it in, we've gotten fouled and we've been struggling from the foul line. So when you have numbers like that at the foul line and that, and you're not converting there at the stripe, then you have to move away from it. Well, they weren't good from the three point line. And if you're not going to pound the ball inside because you're, you're scared at that point that if you get fouled and you don't make the basket, that you're not going to convert at the line well, what are you going to do? You're going to take like half court shots. I mean, so like you have to, he says all the time for the whole season till he's blue in his face, we play through our bigs. We play through the Mitchell twins. So then go do that. I can't agree more, Maury. So obviously, because this is releasing uh, on Friday, later on today, a game at Dayton. And then, you know, coming up at Fordham at home versus UMass and then away at VCU. Do you think that this team is going to be, you know, we should be in for a rude awakening and, and it's not going to get better for a couple of games. I think it's still too early to tell Gary. It's really going to be a game by game basis, tough spot to blow two 15 point leads at home and then go on national television and go to Dayton. Probably not an easy, an easy stretch. Uh, if you ask any coach in the country, any coach, especially in the conference. Um, so I think it's just got to be a game by game approach. It just feels more like, you know, this team is going to, to finish at or maybe even a little bit below where they were predicted preseason. You know, this is the, this is just a 500 basketball team. No great redeeming quality, not super consistent. They've got the pieces. You know, they've got seven or eight guys uh, that can play that could get you into the top six of the conference. I'm not ready to, to say four because um, they'd really need to to make a 180 degree turn if they want to get there. But yeah, this is just a middling basketball team. This is a team, quality team that will just, for the most part, beat up on the bottom of the conference and consistently lose to the top. And then it'll get you somewhere in the middle. I think I wrote that in my column as well. I said, you know, before the GW game, I was like, hey, you know, this team's going to beat up on the bottom because you played a very weak non-conference schedule. And no tests prepared you to beat the top to beat the top tier consistently, and it's a shame they they blew a chance to be five and one, but that's where we're at. We are uh, we are three and three, not we as in as in we're not we as in just here uh, talking about a team that's three and three. And not only is there no blueprint now to not beat the top teams because they haven't been tested. Now there's a blueprint to lose to the cellar dwellers. You blew that game at home against George Washington. There is not one game on the schedule. 
the rest of the way. After that George Washington loss, and then you double it down against Richmond, the way that they lost those games, you cannot say for a fact that any game down the line, okay, yeah, that's a win. That's a loss. That's a no. Because George Washington was as easy as it gets at home against arguably the worst team in the conference. And if you can't win that game, you're not going to, you might not avoid every pothole, you know, maybe that's the wake up call. So when they play a a team like a Fordham where they play a team like a St. Joe's, who's playing a little bit better now as of late, since you played them, not one game on that schedule. Now you can write in as a win before you play them. And you, you, we all know what's going to happen tonight or Friday night. They're going to go out to Dayton and they're going to play their best 40 minute, 40 minutes of basketball and kick the living crap out of Dayton just because that's what URI does. And just when you're out, they figure out a way to bring you back in. And they're either going to get blown out or they're going to blow Dayton out. And it's going to be one or the other. But that's here nor there, an argument for another day. Go. I have just one more for you, Maury. I know it's really early for this kind of talk, but I don't know if we'll get a chance to talk to you again before we would find this out. If we were to let Coach Cox go, is there would is there do you let him go knowing who you're going after, or do you just let him go and see what's available to bring in for a replacement? And who are there any names that you have like? thinking of it yeah no no names right now it's late january you always want the current coach to work out i think i've been on record multiple times the last two years that david cox is a is a great man in all my encounters completely Um, agree classy guy great recruiter um good assistant coach Teaches his teaches his guys about life skills off the court. Um, you know, one thing that comes to mind is when when the Mitchell when Mikel got the technical. I forget who that was against. Uh, maybe it was St. Joe's. You know, he talked about you know making a parallel between a technical foul in basketball and just things not going your way in life. Right? You know, you thought the ref missed a call, you get upset, you retaliate, the ref tees you up. Well, what happens in real life when things don't go your way? You're going to throw your hands up and give up. So he, he, he does a really good job instilling a lot of life lessons and values to his guys. And as a father figure, I mean, aside from basketball, he's, in my opinion, he's great, great guy. Looks like a great family man, has two great kids, has a great wife. I mean, nothing wrong about him as a person. But when you make three quarters of a million dollars, you have to separate the man from the coach. And right now it doesn't look like he's going to be around for that much longer, whether that's in the short term in just this year, maybe he gets himself a two-year extension going forward, but only really has like a year or two to turn it around to maybe get back to the tournament or get to an 8-10 championship. I think it's still too early to talk about uh, names. And I think just by the softness of the schedule, if let's say, let's say URI goes nine and nine in the A-10, so nine and nine and 12 and three is 21 and 12. You go to the eight. So you're 21 and 12, you go to the eight ten 10 tournament. Let's say you go one and one, you're 22 and 13. I still don't think their metrics would be strong enough to get to the NIT, but you finish the season at something like 22 and 13. It would be very hard for Thor, in my opinion, to let go of a coach that won 20 plus games. And this is again, still early 
but going into the off season, I'd probably extend him if he won 22 games. Hey, great. Your record was inflated. You won a bunch of games against the America East and, you know, a bunch of terrible teams in the out of conference. And, you know, we still don't know how the A-10 will play out, but if it plays out the way that it's looking like where they just beat up on the bottom and they're, they don't really beat any good teams at the top consistently, you say, you know, out of conference strength of schedule has to be X. You have to play a certain amount of power five teams because the bar is just getting lowered and lowered and lowered and lowered. Like we talked about earlier, the beginning of the, uh, of his time, his out of conference slates were a, to prepare him for a 10 play and B to play your way to an at large berth. That was the standard. That's what had been Rhode Island basketball for, for a solid four or five year stretch from say the 2014, 15 season until 1920. One, 15, 16, 17, 18. I mean, that's six years, right? That's more than, that's more than uh, half a decade of that was the bar. You'd been to NCAA tournaments. David Cox had been a part of all of those teams, whether it was assistant coach, associate head coach, or head coach. So if he does well enough to smooth over, to win 20 plus games, but nothing was really that impressive, you give him that little bit of, a, of an extension because he's got a good core, in my opinion, in Sebastian Thomas. That's why he's got to play a lot down the stretch. And Ish Leggett and the Mitchell twins who are talented and can continue to grow. And you bring back a guy like Malik Martin. And now the way the transfer portal is, you can get guys to come in right away and contribute. He's got himself a nice five, six, seven piece rotation right there. Before you talk about Alan B. Trent, before you talk about Jalen Carey, before you talk about some of those guys that are, are at the end of your bench. So it would be probably gets an extension the way that I feel about it now. Probably gets, a, gets an extension. Doesn't necessarily deserve it, but didn't do anything bad enough to get fired. But there's got to be numbers. Like I said, out of conference has to be at a certain point. And then a 10 play has to be at a certain point and you either hit those or you don't in year five. And, you know, next year at this point of the season, five years through, if you haven't really sniffed an NCAA tournament, then I think you can have this conversation. Now this all could go out the window. If they, if this spirals out of control, you know, let's say they only win a handful of games the rest of the season, somewhere in the two to four, five ballpark range, and they only finish, they finish the conference below 500. They lose the first game on Wednesday in the A-10 tournament. You know, then the seat's a little, a little hotter. Right now, A, it's a little too early. And B, I still think he'll do well enough to get himself a, a little more time in Kingston. Now, uh, quickly before we let you go, Maury, uh, we do want to jump in a little bit on this Rody women's team. A huge win at UMass. Uh, who was ranked in the net just one spot above them um, and nine straight wins for Tammy Reese and Kingston. Uh, what are your expectations for this women's team, you know, continuing this season and headed into the uh, A-10 women's tournament and possibly further from there? Well, the expectations has to be finish atop the league. I mean, they're there now and there's no reason why they shouldn't be, you know, going forward. They've, they, they've shown that they can uh, beat the top of the league, beat the good teams at home on the road. <laughs> in dominating fashion uh, like they did against UMass. And this is a team that, that right now is on the bubble. 
this is a team that that should contend for an at-large bid. Now, unfortunately, the A-10 isn't strong enough where if they do suffer one or two or three losses and still have like a 16-2 and two record in the A-10 or 15-3, and three, that still might not get them in because much like the men, the women's non-conference schedule is also soft, but you have to look at where the women's program was before this year as a reason why you wanted to continue to instill that confidence and build that chemistry in the non-conference as opposed to go out and challenge yourself because you'd never even thought in your wildest dreams that this could be even on the table right now as, as we flip the calendar into February next week. So this team, you know, in my opinion, should finish in first or second in the A-10. Uh, this is a team that will get that double by. This is a team that, you know, I'm expecting to be in the A-10 championship. Uh, there's no reason why they shouldn't be. Uh, they've shown it now uh, outside of an injury or outside of, you know, COVID really ravaging the season or, or having key players out for long stretches. Tammy Reese has herself a wagon. She's got her team uh, right where they're supposed to be, probably even ahead of schedule. I mean, let, let's, let's really give her credit. They're, they are ahead of schedule. Now they just have to continue to, to take advantage of all the opportunities they have. And who knows, wouldn't that be, uh, you know, quite the sight to see URI women's basketball in the NCAA tournament, potentially as an at-large and the men not. <laughs> uh, I don't know one person who would have thought that two years ago. I year wonder ago, one hell of a futures bet to make four months ago. I mean, it's, it's a remarkable job that Tammy Reese has done. Well, we talk about extensions. I mean, she's got to then deserve, she deserves even more. I know she just got one, but the more, the more you continue to break ground and make history with the program, yeah, the more, the more, yeah. the more financial incentives you deserve, the longer uh, extension you deserve, the more job security. I agree with you on that one, Maury. Uh, Maury, thank you for joining us. I know obviously uh, with the rough stretch of games, it makes it a little tougher here, uh, but obviously thank you for joining us uh, on this episode of Rody Baseline. If you want to follow Maury, uh, Maury is on Twitter at M. Hirsch Gordon on Twitter, uh, and he is the sports director for WPRI 12. Great to see you in this position, Maury. We're super happy to see you You go through and obviously see you at the Ryan Center as well. Uh, we appreciate your time. Yeah, you got it, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. Even though the season isn't turning out, at least the last couple games of, of what a lot of Rhode Island fans had hoped, uh, no shortage of storylines, right? Can this team really pick itself back up and make a nice, nice run to end the year or will it spiral out of control? So uh, there'll still be a lot to talk about as always. I'm here. If you guys want me to pop back on the podcast, appreciate you guys having me on and uh, we'll see it. We'll see you around next time at the Ryan center. Appreciate it, Maury. All right. We want to thank Maury for joining us. Um, it was great to get an insight from Maury on this team and the struggles and not only not to sugarcoat it for us as we would think that there'd be some sugar coating but it was great to get an insight um great points that he brought up about sebastian and i think sebastian's good and he should be getting more minutes um it's just it's inexcusable and things need to change and they need to change in a hurry gary and i just i don't see it happening and i think in the in the end it's going to be a long couple months for you or i so, obviously, with the page turning, it brings us to tonight's game. So, URI is away at Dayton. Hopefully, they're able to get back safe and sound with the snow coming. Hopefully, everyone stays safe. I know that Andrew and myself would be shoveling ourselves out to hopefully get out, get out, there, 
out there on Sunday for the women's game. And hopefully we everybody stays safe as well with the snow. Uh, but URI is away at Dayton. That game at 7 p.m. on ESPN2 in the A-10's uh, premier game spot. And the, the million-dollar question that I think everybody wants to know is which URI team is going to come out. Are they going to come out swinging? Are they going to come out being upset that they lost – you know, two games that they should have had in their hands and be able to take care of this Dayton team at a tough UD arena? Or are we going to have the team that doesn't know how to shoot free throws? They're big shoot innovized three-pointers. Your rotation is atrocious where you play people who don't play in the entire first half. Or you don't draw up good out-of-bounds plays. Or you don't go two for one. I could just go on and on, but I really hope we get the... Good URI team. And quite frankly, Gary, leading me into my hot take of the night, presented by Andrew's Hot Takes, the hot take is this URI team, and it's been years and years that this happens, just when you're out, they drag you back in. Telling you right now, URI is going to go to Dayton, just because it's that type of year, URI is going to go to Dayton. They're on the national stage, they're going to beat them by 10 or 15 points, and everybody's going to act like everything is okay when it's not. If you can go, if you can beat Dayton 10 to 15 points, great. I will start to believe again. I won't put the nail in the coffin. But you need to follow that up by beating Fordham next week. By win, putting a strand of three or four games together of solid performances. If you come out, you beat, four, you beat Dayton by 10 or 15, you go to the Bronx you squeak by Ford and by two, three points, how much is really fixed, in my opinion. So don't be surprised if your eye goes to Dayton and plays well, and they win. But I don't care if they go to Dayton and win. I want to see what they do next week. If they come back after this Dayton game and go 2-0 and next week and have a mini 3-4 game winning streak, then you can come back to me about having the NIT bid back on. But it all depends on what happens after the Dayton game. Let, let's not forget, URI's upcoming uh, stretch is not easy. So, obviously, away at Dayton, away at Fordham, back home against UMass, and then home against Davidson, home against Dayton. It's going to be rough. It's you can win these next – if you beat Dayton tomorrow and beat Fordham and in UMass – Talk to me about being back on the wagon. But as of right now, I'm out, out, out. Got to agree with that one. So don't forget URI men's basketball game tonight versus Dayton. 7 p.m. tip-off over on ESPN2. And then Rhodey Women's Hoops back at the Ryan Center on Sunday game at 1230 on CBS Sports Network, but also at the Ryan Center where the Girl Scouts of America will be selling cookies. Uh, great deal. You can pick up, reach out to Rody Tickets on Twitter or call the box office if you're looking for tickets for that game uh, or purchase them online. But you do want to get out to see this Rody women's team. And with that, we end this episode of roadie baseline do make sure to follow us at roadie baseline facebook instagram and twitter and we will chat with you guys next week and as always boy did i miss this go roadie